welcome to Parkinson's Life, the award-winning podcast offering a voice to the global Parkinson's community. Each episode, we bring together people impacted by the condition for an honest conversation to share their stories, perspectives, and ideas on how to live well with Parkinson's. An estimated 3 million women around the world are living with Parkinson's, but historically, their specific needs and experiences have been neglected, leading to disparities in diagnosis, treatment, and medication. In this episode, Dr. Lucia Farrow joins us from Barcelona, Spain. Diagnosed with Parkinson's three years ago, she has since become passionate about raising awareness of the unique challenges that face women with the condition. Joining her for an open conversation is U.S.-based boxing coach and former engineer Lori DePorter. Referring to her own diagnosis as a perfect storm of events, Lori has found ways to help manage Parkinson's and its impact on other aspects of her life. Lucia and Lori discuss their personal experiences, from health and work to family life, and feeling represented in the community. Hello, my name is Lucia Ferro. I'm 38 years old and I live in Barcelona, Spain. I'm originally from Argentina. I'm a medical doctor. I'm a single person, no kids now, and I'm working in the Hospital del Mar in front of the sea here in Barcelona. I'm making my second specialization. My first one is clinical biochemistry. I was diagnosed when I was 35, almost three years ago. And I remember exactly that day because was very hard for me that day. It was in 2019, on May 21st, I remember exactly the date, and I celebrated it as my second birthday. I won't say that I was born again, but I always say that a new version of me was born on that date. My name is Lori DePorter. I live in York, Pennsylvania, in the United States. I'm not near as traveled as you are, Lucia. I was born here, raised here, and came back and live here. I have three sons and a wonderful husband. They're all grown. I'm an empty nester. My diagnosis was kind of a perfect storm of events. I was diagnosed a little bit by accident. I had an injury, and I was scheduled to have surgery. And then the surgeon that was doing the pre-op stuff said, hmm. I think you might have Parkinson's. Um, I will never forget that day because my son was with me and I was in a puddle on the floor and he was holding me, holding me up. And then I got officially diagnosed in December of 2014. So I got Parkinson's for Christmas. I want to share my voice and my experience as a woman living with Parkinson's because when I was diagnosed, I felt so much loneliness. It was very hard for me to find reference. I miss personal stories or personal voices like mine or, or like yours, Lori, where to feel reflected in. And I think that it's also very important to share what happens to, to me, to us, to you. And I empower women to do it because there is lack of knowledge related uh, to how Parkinson's affects us in the different stages of our life as women. I mean, different hormonal changes or hormonal stages like menstrual, pregnancy, breastfeeding, pre and postmenopause. When I was uh, diagnosed, I turned out to a sort of activist of that and start to talk about what happens to me, what I feel, what I, what I think, what I, what, what I do to feel better with, with these changes and with these 
lack of information. I think that's incredible because we need more women to be um, advocates for Parkinson's awareness. That's for sure. My goal in doing lots of these podcasts is to change the face of Parkinson's because I've talked a lot at support groups and you know, that kind of thing. And the first thing I ask them is, what do you think of when I say Parkinson's? And it's usually my grandfather or Michael J. Fox or Muhammad Ali. But nobody usually says a five foot, 45 year old girl <laughs> or lady or whatever you want to call me. But um, I hope to redefine what it is. I don't know if you've ever seen the photojournalist Anders Leans, and he did a whole photo shoot on This Is Parkinson's. And that really had a profound effect on me because it really it's really said it, it's real. It's not just your dad or your grandfather's disease anymore. And more people need to know about that. And we as women are not simply little men. And see, when you were diagnosed, did you notice the link between your Parkinson's symptoms and um, menstruation and your, your cycle? When I was diagnosed, I was interested in our cycle, our menstrual cycle, that I think that is the, the perfect unknown of our stories uh, because we don't know anything about uh, cycle life. So I was interested in that field and I started um, taking diary notes about how I was feeling, how was I was feeling with exercise, what kinds of food was better and fill me with more energy in the different stages of, of the cycle. So uh, when I was diagnosed, I decided to, to take note about the symptoms. As I'm a science person, I start to, to point, for example, the slowness, the tremor, the bradycinesia. I point, point this, these topics with plus one, plus two, less one, less two. And I studied myself. I make like a, a graphic about my symptoms and, and I recognized that there was a worsening of the symptoms in, in a premenstrual stage, you know. So the, the thing, the things that I used to do with that is to rest more in that, that part of the cycle, rest more, sleep more. I try to plan my agenda related to that. I, I make my more exercise when I was in the preovulatory stage and I found a person in social media that that teach me that if you eat some kinds of food in each um, stage of cycle you will feel better I I call call it cycling uh, food or cycling alimentation I don't know how to say in English but what what about you well, I'm kind of following my own demographic, I think, because I had a um, uterine ablation before I was even diagnosed with Parkinson's. So I don't get it. I hadn't gotten a period. I can't even tell you the last time I had one. So that means my cycle was just, I had it because I still had all my, all the hormones, but I didn't know when I was being affected or not. So looking back now, it had to have been affecting me, but I I, I didn't know. One one of my MDSs is a, is a female doctor and she told me, she's like, you know, menopause is coming, you know, but don't let every other doctor blame everything on your Parkinson's and your and that. So I ended up having to push for a diagnosis for Hashimoto's disease, which a lot of women have, but I didn't want it to just get lumped into Parkinson's because it was something completely different. I think doctors knows a little or nothing sometimes about the relationship between feminine. You are lucky that you have a female 
neurologist or doctor, but I have a, a male one. So I noticed that sometimes they know nothing about that and you feel lonely again. I, I, I will repeat every, every time this word loneliness, because I think it was something that marks a lot my experience. I think that there are no studies with, with women with Parkinson. We are starting about that. It's another reason that why I became a sort of activist, as I said before, because we, I think we, we need to give voice to, to these, these issues. And we, we need to empower women to, to talk about that naturally, to share with the community, to make, it, make groups or, or finding women community to, to make louder this. I think, unfortunately, a lot of the things that affect women, the psychological stuff, the anxiety and the depression and all the hormonal stuff is taboo. Nobody wants to talk about it. It's not a fun subject. It also goes hand in hand with men the mental health piece of it. I don't think people are, are comfortable with that either. I think a good psychologist and being able to talk to a psychologist has been fundamental in, in, in my symptom management because you don't burden your family with everything and you should be able to talk about it. I'm, you should be able to stand on your roof and say, I have depression, I have anxiety, and it's it's real, and there's no shame in it, and it's part of the disease. And women have it more than men. It's very important to know that, and I, I think that there's a lack of this information related to psychological issues that, as, as you said before, we have more psychological distress, negative and distracted self-image, loss of femininity. Did you have this kind of issues or did you identify that? I think my biggest thing I was affected as how, how I was going to be as a mom and a, and a wife and that kind of thing. I, I lost a little bit of self-confidence. I wasn't confident in what I was going to be able to do and what I was going to, how I was going to be able to be a mom. because I still had, my son was, my youngest son was in seventh grade. So my kids were all still living with me. Learning how to be a mom with Parkinson's was, was, was difficult, but Kids are resilient. They they did what they needed to do. They are great kids because of it. I don't think my Parkinson's hurt them a little bit, maybe, but I think my kids are probably much more empathetic than a lot of kids because they know that sometimes there's invisible diseases. Parkinson's is an invisible disease and not everybody sees it, but it's it's there. And anxiety is a big piece for me and my kids know that. <laughs> Yes. And for me, in my case, uh, anxiety and depression, I, I live alone now and it's double invisible. That's, as you said before, it's an invisible illness. So if you live alone, it's double invisible because no one look at you when you are uh, cooking or when you are uh, in the bath or when you are quitting your clothes, you know, or putting your shoes. <laughs> no one, no one looks and no one notices that you have problems and that's awful. <laughs> it's awful not to be seen, you know. There's a lot more available out there now in terms of podcasts and webcasts. And I think the whole virtual world has given the women and a whole a whole other avenue to explore because as caregivers, you don't have as much time to go to places, go to the doctors, go to the gym, go to the, you know, but now with this, with the virtual world, I think it's opened up a new world for for women especially, um, to have support groups and not have to leave your house. I mean, I was fortunate that my kids are older, but I do know younger, like I've met on forums, younger people that can't, they can't leave their house or they can't go to exercise class. And that's a big issue for the, the younger women that who have children. What have you found most challenging, Lauren, about living with Parkinson's? I think not projecting my future. 
Um, I think it's especially because I work with people that are older than me and I, I get worried about what is down the road for my kids. Not so much me. I'm worried about what they're going to inherit with me, but you can't think like that. Um, I think exercise is doing what it's doing for me and it's kept, it's kept me healthy and managed my symptoms very well. And I've helped others, empowered others to do the same. And writing has changed my life. Um, sharing my experiences and meeting other people within other rare disease communities has been awesome. Nice. In my case, as I'm a very exigent and perfectionist person, I was used to do everything fast, <laughs> fast and furious. I used to think fast, talk fast, walk fast, eat fast. I, I used to adore efficiency. So at the beginning, it was awful for me. And it is being until today very challenging to me to accept slowness, you know, to find me comfortable in a new rhythm, to accept the new rhythm. I could affirm uh, that it was no difficult for me at all to accept the diagnosis. I accept the diagnosis faster than my family environment and my, and my friends. Maybe because as medical doctor, I, I look for a lot of information and, and information is power, you know. But it was very, very easy for me to accept the diagnosis faster than them, but not the slowness. <laughs> I'm still working on it. Yeah, that, it's, it's, it's hard to go from being the caregiver and the go, 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 go to I need help. And I've learned to say that it's okay to ask for help um, because it helps people to help you because they feel helpless sometimes. And by me letting them help me, they feel a little less helpless. If that, ma if that makes any sense at all. Yes. So in your workplace, so you stayed in, you stayed in the medical field. Did you find that challenging? Yes, I find very challenging. And I find uh, that I, I make huge my, my empathy. I don't know how to explain that, but as I work with persons with illness or uh, uh, I'm more empathetic now, I don't know how to explain that feeling, that, but it's very nice to, to feel empathy and compassion for my patients. I'm studying neurophysiology, so I, I am related to neurology, you know, because uh, I don't know why, I think because of the diagnosis, but now I'm very interested on, on neurology. I find this field... Uh, amazing and there is so much to to learn so much to to find and there is very hard situations and very hard problems with with this illness that's very brave you're very brave i find you very brave and inspirational so you too Lori. you too <laughs> both of us I, i punch bags i get people to punch bags but <laughs> <laughs> But, it, you know, getting getting them into the into the routine of exercising is is not easy, especially with you know, an older demographic. And we had to learn how to zoom and use a computer and all that stuff. But it, it's worked out. And here we are. I've been doing it for almost three years now. We've been zooming. Now that you talk about exercising, I, I found a, an, an scientific article about that. That was very motivation for me because um, the scientist says that making a regular exercise slow the progression of Parkinson's disease in, in young onset Parkinson's disease. Did you know about that? I didn't know like the scientific stuff behind it, but I firmly believe that it helped me because people look at me and say, I don't see it. You don't have Parkinson's. And I'm like, yeah, I really do. <laughs> you know, you're too young or you, you move too well or you look too good. 
but it's like I, I do have it. It's not bothering you to when people says, oh, it, it doesn't look like you have Parkinson's. Well, I've kind of come up with a little take the elephant out of the room phrase when someone says, oh, you look really good. And I said, well, I really didn't get the memo. I was supposed to look bad. Okay. <laughs> Nobody told me Parkinson's meant I was supposed to look bad. So um. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> so use humor to get the elephant out of the room. Everything tends to go a little better. You're listening to episode 13 of series two of the Parkinson's Life podcast with Lori and Lucia. Be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform to hear more from the series. So Lucia, you said you learned about exercises or anything that you do in particular? As I was very motivated about reading this article, I started making HIIT. That is a sort of exercise that you are making the same exercise for 30 seconds and 30 seconds and 30 seconds and never ends, you know? <laughs> High intensity interval. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and you... You exercise, exercise cardio, and I think that it's very important to exercise cardio and aerobic exercise because uh, this is a dopamine, dopamine shoot, you know, not natural dopamine. That is, it helps us to, to reduce uh, drugs or to reduce uh, doses or try to, to stay in at the same dose of external dopamine the long time as you can. I also, practice yoga uh, since I was very young, uh, since 10 or 12 years ago. So I think that's very important also because of the flexibility and the capacity of, of flexibility that give you. So I think that it's good to maintain or get a balance between these two types of exercise, no? Cardio and heart and relaxing and uh, flexibility. How about you? What do you do for exercise? Well, I, t I teach exercise three times a week online, but I have mostly men. Um, so it's kind of interesting because I, I feel like we talk, we talk about medicines and stuff. And like I said before, we all are kind of taking the same thing. And here I am probably half their, some of their sizes. Um, so it's kind of interesting. And, and I think that like the men are more into the physical part of things. Like they want to punch that bag because they don't want to lose that, that ability where the women are looking, look at the whole, the bigger picture. Um, so that, I think that's kind of an interesting thing between, between men and women in the terms of the exercise, but doctors say it's good for everybody. Parkinson's isn't discriminate against men or women. And so you got to treat it like that. And if exercise helps, it's going to help everybody. So as a doctor, do you think other doctors within other that treat women like the gynecologist and the endocrinologist, do you think that they're educated enough? Do you think that they know enough about women's health, particularly women's issues for you to be comfortable? I don't think so. I really don't think so. Not yet. I think uh, the change is coming, but I think that we need to work more. I found it difficult to find support groups and stuff in the beginning, but now they're, they're, it is changing. There's definitely, there's a more of a push to be more informed and for women to have more information. Like a lot of the doctors do podcasts now, which is great. I found that with endocrinologists, I had a couple male endocrinologists that just were not getting 
not doing what I wanted him to do. And then I finally found a woman and she did every possible hormone test that, and I finally almost cried. Like, just because I'm like, I finally got somebody to listen to the whole picture. Um, but in like in the back of my mind, my neurologist was, I could hear her saying, don't let, just keep pushing, get answers, get answers. You need to get answers and you'll get them. So you have to be an advocate for yourself, I think, as a woman, more, more so than a man. So Lucia, we were both diagnosed as young onset, but my kids were older and grown and you're not in that realm yet. So how do you feel about having children or how that how it could affect you? Or I'm not pretty sure about being a mom yet. <laughs> I'm 38, so I, I don't have a long time to, to decide it. But I remember when I went to my neurologist and I say, I, I don't know if I want it, but I would like to have information about that. And she told me, oh, we don't have a lot of information or studies about that. So I, I will send you to the gynecologist, for example. So I went, I went to a gynecologist and they say, oh, I, we didn't know about that. It's the first time that we listen about a young Parkinson's disease. We, we know about a, a, a young woman with epilepsy, for example. We have experience in that with epilepsy, but not in young onset Parkinson's disease. So they sent me to the genetic uh, assessment. So on this now, I, I'm going to the genetic assessment next week or, or, or I don't know, next month. And I, I'm looking for information to, to empower my decision or my decision to, to not to be a mother, but I would like to, to decide about that soon <laughs> because I don't have a lot of time. Like I said before, I think it, it's a family diagnosis. It's not just your own. And I think men and women, whether you're the caretaker or the patient, it affects you because your life changes. Like I'm not going to be the person my husband anticipated me to be. I mean, that's the way it is. But I think we've gotten stronger I think we've shown our children that this is what you do to love somebody unconditionally. Um, there's going to be there's going to be bumps in the road. This is not the journey we planned, but it's ours and we're on it. And you don't bug out. You stick it out. When I was diagnosed, my doctor said to my husband, you have to take your dance lessons with your wife. And we've never danced before ever, 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 ever. But we started taking dance lessons, the Argentine tango specifically, because my doctor did a study. Oh, nice. Argentine. <laughs> yeah, we can't do it. We're, we can't do it. We're really bad. But we took, we've been taking ballroom dancing, not quite as often as we used to. We try to like still go at least have a date once a week lesson. So I dance now. We dance now that we never, we never would have done You mentioned something about sleeping. Has your sleep been affected? Uh, I'm sorry for that to other person with Parkinson, but I sleep very, very, very well. <laughs> You're lucky. I don't have any problem. I don't have any problem at all about that. I think meditation and yoga helps me a lot. I, of course, I, I look for information about that and about circadian cycles. Circadian cycling is like a cycles in your, in your body. For example, hormones and genes, transcription, transcriptions of genes are programmed related to day and night, daytime and nighttime. Okay. So if you regulate that, 
sleeping in the night hours, you feel better and you, you feel that your organism and your mood is better, you know. I used to work and used to study, when I studied medicine, I used to study at night and I sleep at, at, the, at the day. And I, when, when I was diagnosed, oh, I'm doing everything bad. So I decided to look for information about that. And I, I find, for example, that you need to stop screens for one hour before being going to the bed. Uh, I put some kinds of relaxing music and a warm and calm uh, room. You know, that I, I think that's the benefits of living alone. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I do do the, I do the music and all that kind of stuff, but that's one thing where I think menopause is coming into play. And then I go, is it menopause or is it Parkinson's on its back? Because um, at night I'll be, you know, I don't get the sweat, the sweats a whole lot, but you know, sometimes I find myself pulling all my clothes off and I'm like, oh, I sleep better when I have very little clothing on. Is, is that related to Parkinson's or is that related to menopause? But um, I actually asked around some of my girlfriends and they, I've been told that they're like, if I end up If I end up with less clothes on, I sleep better. So that's one thing, I guess, the menopause has kind of helped. I accidentally found out that, you know, if you sleep with less clothes on, you might sleep better. <laughs> so nice. I just told the whole world that. <laughs> See, how do you feel your Parkinson's affects other aspects of your health? I feel, first of all, I look of information again. I found that estrogens have a certain protective effect in symptoms of Parkinson's. So knowing that, I found that when my estrogens were lower, so at a stage of my cycle, I was feeling worse, not only in the mood, mood changes, but also in motor changes. So yes, I think hormones affect me a lot. I'm not sure about how to manage them until now. Uh, when I premenstrual, I don't socialize. I, I, I make another tasks. For example, writing, as you said before, I would like, I love to write. So when I feel like with this anger or with these mood changes, I write down and I feel much better after that. Writing helps me a lot. For me, I, uh, my one doctor said I, said, I said, I see a psychologist and he said, well, that's not enough. He recommended that I see somebody that has the cognitive behavioral therapy because of my anxiety that I needed to learn how to like slow my adrenaline down and take a breath and learn how to breathe and all that stuff. So again, I don't like, I hate them. I hate the stigma attached to the, the, the mental part of things. because you know, like, yes. it's not a weakness. It's not a weakness. It's chemical no. and it's real. But I, I have felt that like learning how to breathe and doing the cognitive behavioral therapy exercises has really helped me. Have you had any of that or? I know what you mean. When I was diagnosed, I, I was studying for, for my test, a very, very hard test to make myself second specialization. So I need a, a lot of concentration and, and a lot of cognitive power in that moment. And I was very worried about that because I was diagnosed and I said, oh, I'm losing my cognitive tools. And so I, I make an, an evaluation and, and the, the psychologist, I mean, no, you are not losing anything at all. You have a lack of attention that everyone of in this society has because we are in the, in the social media, we are in Facebook, in 
in Instagram. We, everything is fast and furious, as I said before. And we have, we don't are used to be one hour uh, focused on one task. We are every, every, every time doing, for example, multitasking. The worst thing that you can do to the, your brain is multitasking because you do everything bad. So in that uh, way, I, I decided to make more meditation in that that moment when I was studying, I used to do every day or daily meditations. I tell to my mom, mom, do you, mom don't, don't you want to meditate with me by Zoom? And she say, oh, yes, my baby. So <laughs> I engage my mom to meditate every every day, 15 minutes. And I, I noticed that it was more easy for me to focus on my studies. I think that's the difference with men and women, too, because... I, I, when I teach a class, I have Wednesdays, we try to do meditation on Wednesdays. And if I have longer than a two minute meditation, the guys are like, oh, <laughs> like, oh. you know, or the la- the ladies are sitting and they're all Zen and, you know, so, but the, the guys are like, oh, is this done yet? Like, are we done? Do you feel that women's issues of the menstruation and hormones, it's hard for you to talk about like openly? Do you feel like you shouldn't? Does it make people uncomfortable or? Yes, I think that there is a stigma about menstruation in in general because we don't speak about that. For example, my my partners at at the hospital say to me, oh, I'm with menstruation. Uh, Oh, uh, maybe someone noticed. What is the problem if someone noticed that is natural? If you have an accident and if you are with the menstruation and your pants are showing that, that's not a problem. It's, it's, it's life. I would like to talk about things that bother <laughs> or things that are not used to talk. So for me, it's not a problem to talk about that openly. And I decide to speak and to share this with my partners at work. For example, when I feel with menstrual symptoms or the worsening of that, I say, oh, I'm feeling so bad. I, I go, I'm going home. For example, my first version of me didn't do at all that now I do it, you know, because I, I feel that it's important to talk about that and to talk about that naturally and with openness. What do you think about that? Well, it's kind of funny because, you know, with my husband and three boys, there's no other women in my house. And most of the classes I teach are all guys. So that's not usually a topic that comes up. <laughs> my husband and I had a journal and we started passing it back and forth. He's probably going to kill me for telling the world. But a lot of it is both of us saying stuff about things we can't talk about. But we never talk about what we write. We write in the journal, then I put it on his side of the bed and then he'll write back and it's on my side of the bed. And a lot of times it is simply about things that we aren't comfortable sharing. It could be anything, not necessarily male or female stuff. But if, if it's something that's hard for me to talk about, like something I've talked about with my therapist or something like that, that's hard for me to talk to him about, we've written it back and forth to each other. You know, because sometimes, it, sometimes it's just not when you're married and you just you can't you feel guilty talking and talking and talking and talking about it all the time. So sometimes it's easier to just put it down on paper and hand it to you, read it when you want it. And we're never going to talk about it, but I know that you know what I'm thinking. Thanks for including me in this podcast. And it was very nice meeting you, Lucia. I had never met anybody from Spain or so traveled as you. It's great to know that you're advocating for, for other women and for people in general, because if you advocate for women, you advocate for men as well everybody everybody wins if everybody understands thank you so much Lori the same to me and it was very nice to share with you and listen to you your experience I think everyone have something to say and we need to share our voices and empower women
Parkinson's Life magazine is produced by Speak Media on behalf of the European Parkinson's Disease Association, the leading voice for Parkinson's in Europe. This podcast has been supported by a grant from the Boston Scientific Foundation Europe, whose mission is to improve patient well-being using digital or innovative solutions. For the latest research and information on Parkinson's, visit epda.eu.com. Thanks for listening to the Parkinson's Life podcast. If you like what you've heard, please rate and review. It helps make sure others can find us. If you'd like to share your story with Parkinson's Life magazine, get in touch through Facebook, Twitter, or by emailing editor at parkinsonslife.eu. Keep a lookout for our next episode, and until then, take care.